Hey everyone, before we jump into this episode, we want you to know that we recorded this prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. We've been working remotely for the past several weeks to be able to share them with you while we all have a little more time at home. These uncertain times have altered the way we're all doing business right now, but that isn't keeping us from doing whatever we can to support our membership and our communities. Head over to mafc.com update for resources related to your cooperative and the pandemic. From all of us at Mid-Atlantic Farm Credit, stay healthy and safe. Thank you. Well, welcome everyone to the first ever episode of the Farm Credit Advocate Podcast. My name is Jenny Kreischer. I'm the Director of Communications at Mid-Atlantic Farm Credit and one of the few different hosts you'll hear as we record this new series. But I'm thrilled to have the honor to introduce this new project to you. We created this podcast with one goal in mind, advocacy. Yes, Farm Credit is a financial lender supporting thousands of farmers and ranchers across the country with consistent and reliable credit, but we're also storytellers. We're promoters of ag, and we hope to use this podcast as another channel to tell the story of our industry and those who live and work within it while connecting our audience with one another. We'll touch on a variety of topics, some larger than others, but tying all back with a little local flair. So today, to kick off this new venture, I'm happy to introduce Tom Truitt, CEO of Mid-Atlantic Farm Credit, our first guest on Farm Credit Advocate. Morning, Jenny. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in the industry? So how did I end up being a agricultural banker? Yes. <laughs> well, like a lot of things, um, actually, like a lot of our employees, I'm first generation kind of off the farm, uh, grew up on the Eastern Shore. Uh, the story I like to tell is I grew up on a very uh, traditional, typical Eastern Shore farm from the 70s and 80s, two-story white farmhouse, middle of a cornfield with two chicken houses out back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of my upbringing. Um, I grew up uh, 10 miles from Ocean City, so I kind of had the either the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds, depending on your perspective. Uh, went away to school, and at that time, my life's goal was I was going to be a stockbroker. Oh. I was going to go to Wall Street and wear the big suits and, and do all that. So I was fortunate enough that I was able to do an internship my senior year of college at a uh, stock brokerage firm in Salisbury and realized I hated it. So at that point, I got four years, five years of uh, financial training, and I was headed back to the farm. Wow. So uh, I was fortunate enough to find a, kind of a job in the ag industry. Uh, did a couple of years selling uh, seed, fertilizer, uh, lime, that kind of deal. And at that time, uh, job searches were done in the newspaper, mm-hmm. you know, versus online. <laughs> and my wife opened up the Baltimore Sun, and there was a company hiring somebody with an ag background and a finance degree. And that's what got me into farm credit. Oh, so wow. I started in 1993, been doing it for about 27 years. Uh, came up through credit operations pretty much. Uh, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, did a stint in technology, did a stint as a loan officer in operations, and pretty fortunate I've been CEO for the past four years. I was going to say you've worn many hats here. <laughs> On some level, they tell me I can't keep a job. I like to think some uh, rounding out my resume. So, that's great. But I ended up in the chair I wanted to be in, so that's, uh, it's been a, been a great career. That's great. Well, for people who might not know what farm credit is, what is your elevator pitch? How do you explain farm credit to people? Explaining farm credit in 25 words or less are, are difficult, so I'm going to try to do it, but I guarantee it's going to be more than 25. Um, probably the best way to look at it is, is to kind of start about why, why farm credit exists. Uh, farm credit's been around uh, for more than 100 years, started in 1916. And at that time, if you can kind of go back in the Wayback Machine, uh, the U.S. was preparing to enter World War I, and it was coming out of some difficult uh, Depression era. And really, what there was Congress at that time saw the need. Uh, what was happening... Uh, is Congress was really looking at having a stable food supply 
for the population. Because again, we look at it now, the, I think the, the last census, there's less than 1% of the U.S. population is, is, uh, is dedicated to agriculture and farming. We even back 100 years ago, it was a lot more than 1%, but still the, the amount of urbanization was occurring. So they were looking at what was some of the big hurdles for farmers. And at that time, it was getting access to capital, you know, getting financing for operations, property needs, as well as real estate needs. A lot of the traditional banks were more interested in more commercial type operations. So farm credit was created by an act of Congress. And really all that means is that the Congress provided the seed money for farm credit. And they modeled it after the German system of cooperatives. But that's where the, the tie to the government ends. Uh, we're not a government agency. We are a for-profit, private uh, enterprise. The unique piece about it is we are a cooperative, mm-hmm. which means our members own us. Uh, we don't have a shareholder to tie to, which I'll, I'll come back to. But if you look back 100 years ago, the system was created. And over the last 100 years, it's morphed into and, and evolved and changed with our customers. It's changed with agriculture. But the reason we exist, the reason we exist today, the reason we existed 100 years ago is really to serve that membership, to make sure we are a stable and reliable source of capital for agriculture in rural America. Right. And I think that's something a lot of people don't realize about farm credit as, is that it is a nationwide system. How does Mid-Atlantic fit into that system? So that, that's a good point. We are a nationwide system. Uh, there is a farm credit that serves every county of all 50, 50 states. And um, as a matter of fact, if we threw us all together, we'd be about seventh or eighth uh, largest commercial bank in, in the U.S. So we do come with some size and scale. And to me, that's the beauty of farm credit, because you talk about Mid-Atlantic, the organization that, that we represent. Uh, we represent about, uh, we service about 50 counties in the five states. Uh, we deal with Southeast Pennsylvania, all of Delaware, um, the Eastern Shore of Maryland, middle part of Maryland, down to the Shenandoah Valley, Panhandle, West Virginia. So we're a little bit of a, we call it the ugly starfish, but we got pretty much, we got Baltimore, D.C. and Philadelphia cutting us, uh, cutting us in half. And we, we service that area. And we got about ten to 11,000 members. And that's who, who we focus on. That's who I focus on as, as CEO. What, what does our organization do for those 11,000 members? And we're able to get kind of hyper-local, hyper-focused on these needs. But we are part of a larger $300 billion financial institution, and that gives us the scale and the scope to deal with any type of credit that comes in. So of our 11,000 customers, we have nobody that's typical. We do anything from large agribusinesses uh, that's more kind of on the food-based companies all the way down to these five, $6,000 loan starter loans, getting people involved in agriculture to everything in the middle. Um, that's one thing that's really beautiful about the five states we deal with in. Uh, if you can eat it, grow it, bake it, boil it, grill it, we'd probably finance it. So that's interesting. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is. We have a very diverse customer base here at Mid Atlantic too, which I think is somewhat unique to others across the country. But no, that's great. We are not Iowa and Illinois. We, we do a not. lot more than corn and soybeans. We do, yes. And like you mentioned, those three very sprawling cities of DC, Baltimore, and Philadelphia being in our footprint also throws in a different wrench. That's a lot of mouths to feed. It and is. Uh, that's what we're seeing our customers kind of evolve into um, is looking at those kind of three cities instead of complaining about the urbanization and the and the traffic, which are still issues. <laughs> um, but now those are those are a lot of customers that are willing to pay for their food. Yep. And there's some margins to be gained there. Yep. So pivoting away a little bit from farm credit, talking more about the ag industry as a whole, as CEO of Mid-Atlantic, um, what is your view of the industry today? I think it's like just what we were just talking about. Um, you know, if you look at the area that we service, uh, we're kind of the point of the spear for the changes that, that's happening in agriculture. Again, we're not Nebraska and Iowa. Um, we are a lot more diverse. Uh, we do have a lot of um, urban areas for, for customers. 
And we started seeing this, um, not necessarily a generation ago, but this is not something that's brand new. Uh, people are very uh, aware and uh, where their food comes from. They have a lot more interest in their food other than what's the cheapest price. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're seeing that our customer base and, and ag in general and, and our footprint kind of evolve into. So again, I talked a little bit about growing up on a poultry farm on the Asian shore and the Asian shore is a great example. So if you look at the traditional poultry industry, so the Purdue's, the Tyson's and that type of deal, you look at corn and soybeans that's growing for that. Those are commodity based businesses. And really, an ag is transitioning away from, not necessarily away, it, it's, it's actually splitting. So we're seeing our customers either staying with that commodity model and getting scale. So basically, you're going larger. You're doing more acres, more chicken houses, more cows, and trying to get your cost of production down. And that, that line of business will always be there. Because um, the stat that anybody in ag always uses is that by 2050, there will be 9 yep. billion people, right? And somehow, we've got to figure out a way to, to, to feed that. Right. And you're going to need commodity-based agriculture to do that. But there's also another market that's really evolving um, that's more specialized, that's more margins-based. So whatever label you want to put on it, whether it's organic, local, GMOs, and all kinds of acronyms, basically there is a customer base out there that's willing to pay a higher margin if, to know where their food came from. And we're seeing a lot of our customers not choose but do both. You know, they may have a large orchard but also do direct-to-consumer. Mm-hmm. You may have a – um, large vegetable and fruit operation, but you're doing directly to restaurants or doing CSAs or anything like that. So I think that trend is going to continue. Um, I think it's just part of economics. It's part of, it's happening in, in all the industries that there will always be a need for some sort of product based on price. Right. And that's your commodity side business. And there, there will be this other market that we're uniquely positioned for, because not only do we have Philadelphia, Baltimore, DC, and even Harrisburg, another million person uh, city, but within a day's drive of New York and Boston. Right. So I say it all the time. When I was growing up, real ag, I thought real ag happened out in the Midwest. If I'm getting involved in agriculture, I want to be right here because this is where the customers are. Right. So I think that trend's here. I think that trend's going to continue. Um, it's been happening for a while, and I think it's going to pick up. Well, that brings me to my next question, actually, for you then, was how are how is farm credit adapting? So if we're seeing these trends. You're watching it happen. How are we able to adapt to, to keep up with those changes? that is where we're spending probably the majority of our our time um, pondering my new favorite word is it's basically delivery channels. So, so really what we're doing inside of farm credit is really two things. Uh, We're looking at our staff composition and we're looking at our delivery channels. So historically how we've delivered our services has been in a a brick and mortar branch structure, right? You get a building, you put it in the middle of an ag area and you service those X amount of counties and you have staff in those counties that know that uh, particular commodity base. So again, I go back to my upbringing outside of Salisbury, you're gonna be a poultry, cash grain, that's kind of the specialization. Um, And that model has served us well. What we're looking at now is how do we deliver our services on different channels? So one, you got the brand structure, you got online, you got on farm, you got at point of sale. Uh, There's all kinds of ways that, that customers can get their financing now. And our job is to make sure that we're there for the most convenient and the most practical really for that customer base. So really, really spending a lot of time looking at delivery channels. But also on top of that, we also look at our staff. And again, if I talk about how the, our customer bases are kind of splitting, um, we're seeing our staff doing that way. So we're really looking at our staff skill set. So if we have larger customers going, getting larger uh, on the um, commodity side, then we want the staff we put in front of them to have uh, business acumen, business skills, 
uh, to, to deal with that certain customers. If we have customers transitioning out of commodities and going to more point of sales, we want to make sure we have staff that can help guide them through that process. Uh, we want um, staff members that have similar life experiences to what they're doing so they can be kind of that trusted resource, which I know is a little cliche in, in financial resources, but really that's our secret sauce and so what's got us to where we're at. So we want to make sure we can maintain that. So 25 words or more, really just trying to make sure we're keeping up with our customers from our staffing standpoint as well as a delivery standpoint. And then to that point, what could what would you recommend producers do to position themselves as we see con- consumer behavior changing? I would recommend that for, for our customers, they do the same thing that I tell every staff member, and that's read, 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 and, and read some more. Um, you know, some of the best advice that, that I got early in my career is change creates opportunity. And that's what we're seeing in the ag, ag sector now. And, you know, it, it's kind of the old is new again. You know, if I go back to when foreign credit was created in 1916, it was created because there was a need for safe and reliable credit. And the reason for that is there was a change occurring in the economy away from the more rural areas and urbanization. So this change has been happening forever. This is nothing new. So this splitting in from a commodity over to more specialized, that's always been there. There's always been change happening, not only in agriculture, but in business in general. And when that change is occurring, there is opportunity out there. And we're seeing our, you know, we're seeing our customers take advantage of it now. You know, all the, the, um, the, the farm stands along Route 50 in Ocean City, you know, there's always been there. Now there's more of them. And now you can do about anything and everything. Right. Right. You look at these farm stands that have basically the restaurants with, with vegetables out front, um, you know, the agritourism, all that type of deal. There's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, and it's really just it's getting educated, being aware, showing up at workshops, um, looking at what your neighbors are doing. It's um, like I said, I think it's a, it's a really exciting time to be involved in ag. Yeah. One of the big goals of this podcast is to share stories of, you know, in the agriculture industry. Have you heard a story recently that's maybe resonated with you or that kind of sticks with you as you go about your day-to-day work? Yes. One of the things I love about the industry that we, that we serve is really the history of it. And our traditional customers, a significant amount of our customer base, they are multi-generation operations, right? They can tie their farm back to, we have a director that can go back 10 generations, but even you can, there's usually a grandfather involved, some sort of parents, and somebody else is coming back in. What's been really rewarding is to see those operations kind of evolve to take advantage of it. And there's, there's one orchard out in uh, the Shenandoah Valley that I think about. You could put the three um, kind of owners, grandparents, parents, kids, you can put them in front of you, and you can almost stereotype them as far as the generational piece are coming from. And really what they've done is they're, they're kind of serving all three markets. They have a direct consumer, they have an online segment, and they have a really relatively large commodity uh, base of, of, of apples. And to see that family, how they've migrated, how they've evolved their business to take advantage of the talent they have in their organization, having grandkids or having a new generation come into the operation, but also take advantage of where they're located. Um, there's probably, yeah, there's dozens of those stories, but it's, it's always really refreshing to see operations kind of evolve to take advantage of the opportunities that uh, presented themselves. Yeah, those are my favorite too. You know, everybody likes success. Yes, So, yes. Um, you know, there's some stories of some other people that haven't adapted also. And, you know, whether you're in the shoe business, the financial business, the Walmart business, the blockbuster business, um, you know, there's stories of people that didn't evolve. But um, the one thing I love about our customer base is uh, they're open-minded and mm-hmm. want to try new things. Yep. Well, I appreciate your time today, but before I let you go, I have a wrap-up question for you. Softball, right? <laughs> yes. What is it that you advocate for in agriculture? What do I advocate for? Um, 
like anything, there's there's a couple things. Uh, one thing I spend um, a lot of my time with outside of the ag industry is really uh, advocating for the perception of agriculture. So whatever day this is, February, the so late February, um, you know, kind of the hot news now is Michael Bloomberg made it a, made a somewhat of an offhanded comment uh, during a debate uh, that really was disparaging against agriculture and farmers in general. And I look at a lot of my kind of my social network, uh, people I run into, and there's still this perception of agriculture being the American Gothic with coveralls and a pitchfork. And in general, who cares, right? But that perception gets turned into reality when you get to the legislative level. You know, uh, being here in the Mid-Atlantic, we're uh, way ahead of the U.S. in general, where our legislators are not tied to the agriculture. They're not first generation. They're probably three generations removed from, uh, from the farm. Well, they're making laws and regulations that directly impacts agriculture. And if your perception is of dumb farmers that are just looking to play in the dirt, that they're looking at an industry that's not technology advanced, that's not dealing with labor issues, that's not up to speed on currency issues, political issues, immigration issues, that leads to bad policy. So um, I know one of the things I'm proud of that, that Mid-Atlantic does is we have a dedicated government affairs officer that spends their time, spends his time in state legislators, kind of advocating for that. So um, I don't know if that's probably unfortunate, but I know I spent a lot of my time there just kind of advocating for, you know, understand the industry before you start regulating it. Right. And I know that's a big um, focus of my team here in the marketing department is, you know, sharing the story of ag and what a people assume isn't always the case. And it's all about consumer education and making sure people are aware of what it is around them and where their food comes from. Well, tying it back to an earlier conversation, our earlier question was, I think that's one of the the evolutions that's occurred in agriculture, you know, especially when I was coming up through, um, when I was growing up and even the early part of my career, ag was pretty much keep your head down, stay out of the headlines, keep people away from the farm and just do your business off you go. And I've seen a, a significant change in that, whereas now ag is telling a story. And I think that is one of the best things that's happened in agriculture in, in, in my career is get out, tell your story, because what we do is something to be proud of. And, um, and I, like I said, I think the more you can educate, not, only, not just the public, I mean, it's more about just the whole GMO organic and you know, the, the easy stuff, but just what goes involved in ag. How, how are you going to feed 9 billion people here in whatever it is, 30, 40 years? You know, how are you going to be able to provide a high quality, high dollar product to somebody that's willing to pay for it? And how are you going to deal with those legislators that are just really, you know, take the intent out of it? I think it's just out of, out of ignorance, for lack of a better term. Yes. And if we don't do that, if we don't put that narrative around it, others will. And again, we're not here to save agriculture. I mean, we're here to, you know, we're here to help our membership, but, but telling that story goes a long way forward. And, and again, um, back to our government affairs, I had a customer, you know, uh, we, we were talking last, uh, last fall and he made a comment that I probably hadn't thought about is what he appreciated the work that we do at the, uh, legislative level is that we're pretty much advocating for all customers, which means we're advocating for all of agriculture. So many other industries are advocating for a specific commodity or state. They're, it's the corn growers. It's just the it's DPI, Denver poultry industry. It's you know just the Pennsylvania type deal. Whereas what we're looking at is really what what affects all eleven thousand of our members. Who again, they got their hands in a little bit of everything. So uh, not saying we're the only ones, but really be able to focus at a again a hyper local level, the state and county level for for all of ag. It puts us in a unique position. It sure does. 
Well, Tom, I appreciate your time today. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with a friend, rate and subscribe. Follow us on your favorite social media platform and look for us at mafc.com or feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at mafc.com if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic you'd like to see us cover. But until next time, keep on advocating. Hey everyone, it's Jenny Kreischer again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of Farm Credit Advocate Podcast. Because this was the first one and this is a brand new project, my co-host Megan Malinowski and I got together to debrief on how this interview went and plan for future ones. Hello. Hey Meg. So how did you, what did you think of Tom's comments on Farm Credit and kind of what he sees, how he sees the industry evolving? I enjoyed listening to that so much, mostly because I struggle sometimes to tell people about farm credit and to explain who we are and what we do. And um, I, I like hearing his perspective on it because it does come from more of a historical approach. And I think our history is really important because that's really where agriculture has been and why we were created. So I, you know, I've only been here for five or six years now. So I've seen some of the more modern um, things move forward, but hearing about the history of it and the past of it and where we came from is so interesting to me. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think what we do in our department, um, is very in the moment and kind of planning ahead. Um, and so it is kind of always good to hear, you know, the history and and kind of how we are part of a 100 plus year legacy here at farm credit. So it's an honor to, to kind of play a part in that next, the next phase of the, of the association and the system. Absolutely. And I, I wrote down, I want to steal his ugly starfish. Um, Oh my gosh. I've never heard (laughs) it described like that. I love it. I love it. I think it's so funny. I never thought of it until now, but it's true. I definitely like that one. Um, (laughs) I was very interested in his last, his, the, one of the last questions that we talked about, I guess the, the local story and kind of talking about what that is. I was going to ask you, like, do you have any of your favorite local stories of some of our customers that you would want to share? Yeah, um, a lot of them are captured in video. So check out MAFC.com for some stories. My favorite is probably a young couple up in um, Frederick County, Maryland, that took an operation over um, after a tragedy in the family. That's one that makes me emotional every time. But it also makes me, again, so proud to work for Farm Credit and to know that we were able to be there for them to help them continue on uh, the dream of, of running that operation. Whenever I see young people embracing the industry it's inspiring yeah because they always have a new approach like it always seems like there's something new or like a new perspective for them to kind of approach it with and i right i have to agree with that right they're breaking breaking the mold mm-hmm. so yeah i was gonna say i have one too one of um one of our customers She's in Warwick, Maryland, and um, she is an engineer by trade, but she just got into uh, Christmas tree farming and she's setting up a whole event complex. And I'm excited about this podcast because I'm hoping that our future episodes will be able to feature a lot of these customer stories and really get down to um, to where they started and what kinds of ideas they had about it. So agreed. Yeah, I thought this turned out really well. Agreed. I'm excited. I'm excited to continue on with this project. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So don't forget to tune in to the rest of our episodes. Make sure you subscribe. And, um, and yeah, we'll see you next time. See you next time.